isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Good evening and welcome to the show. Well, the Washington Post certainly got my attention this morning with a headline that started with, the world is on the brink of catastrophic. Right now, that could be anything. Another pandemic cooked up in a Wuhan lab, a global financial collapse caused by a run on banks, World War III with China and Russia, a food shortage caused by farm seizures, or maybe the violent protests in dozens of French towns and cities have started spreading to other countries. None of the above. Imagine my relief when I read the rest of the headline. The world is on the brink of catastrophic warming, UN Climate Report says. Well, that was close. It was just the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change saying, again, we're all doomed if we don't buy Teslas and drink our vegan smoothies through paper straws. No wonder the Washington Post has lost half a million subscribers in two years. If it wanted to sell papers by scaring the crap out of readers, there's no shortage of actual crises to do it with. And you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to notice a pattern to these crises. They all seem to conform to the World Economic Forum's plan to strip ordinary people of their possessions while the WEF's own billionaire elitists keep their private jets and mountain chalets. Last Friday, market value, the market value of Swiss investment bank Credit Suisse was about 8 billion US dollars. By Monday, the Swiss government had brokered a forced sale of the bank to its Swiss rival USB for three billion. So the shareholders lost a collective five billion or about 62% of their investment, but they were the lucky ones. Credit Suisse was holding $17 billion worth of tier one bonds. They sound complicated, but they're actually not. These are deposits made by investors, generally for a fixed term and with fixed interest. They pay slightly higher interest because they can be written off by the bank if the bank gets into trouble. This innovative financial product 
was introduced after the global financial crisis of 2008 to avoid governments having to bail out banks. Instead, investors take the risk in return for higher interest rates. And if the bank goes belly up, then they've done their dough. On the weekend, Credit Suisse wrote off its tier one bonds, $17 billion worth. Had it reached the threshold in which it could do that? Well, it's difficult to know. The deal was wrapped up over the weekend because there were fears that there might be a run on the bank on Monday morning, given its diabolical performance over the past few months. Its share price had certainly taken a hammering. So the government stepped in and took $9 billion US dollars of debt and the National Bank offered $100 billion in liquidity. The Swiss, the Swiss financial regulator was happy that the threshold to write off the, the $17 billion worth of bonds had been reached, saying, quote, the extraordinary government support will trigger a complete write down of the nominal value of all AT1 debt, unquote. Well, as the Daily Wire's Ben Shapiro said this morning, quote, this is a government sponsored deal. Basically, the Swiss government and the Swiss National Bank stepped in, facilitated the deal and forced Credit Suisse into UBS. Well, in other words, despite the creation of tier one bonds, it's still business as usual for governments to meddle, to meddle in these matters, even to the point of telling shareholders and investors they've done all or some of their dough. The usual people said this was a good deal and it kept the financial system from cracking, but time will tell whether they're right. The stress being felt by financial markets was caused in the first place by governments who borrowed heavily and threw it at citizens to sit at home during the so-called pandemic instead of going to work and generating actual wealth. Australian banks aren't as exposed to, as American and European banks are to this kind of thing. They have higher requirements to maintain cash reserves for rainy days should depositors queue up to get their money back. But that doesn't mean we won't get swept up in the backwash. Here is International Monetary Fund Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva. We still believe that there is a narrow path to avoid recession uh, by being uh, very careful in how the fight against inflation goes forward. <laughs> fight against inflation. We haven't been doing very good at that lately, so fasten your seatbelts. A possible recession isn't the only global crisis heading our way. I talked last night about the war in Ukraine now being at a stage where neither side can afford to lose, but neither do they have the ability to win. We've been dragged into it because unlike the fight for freedom in Hong Kong, it's the fashionable thing to do. But how much are we prepared to pay to support Ukraine? It'll never be enough if you ask Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, but nobody seems to have asked you and I that question. The Australian government is also committed to reducing the methane in cow farts by 30% in the next seven years. 
This will either make raising cattle in Australia more expensive or reduce the size of the national herd. Either way, Russia and China, two of the world's biggest producers of farting livestock, are not signatories to the International Methane Reduction Agreement. So they are laughing at our expense. In the Netherlands, some of the most efficient farms in the world are being seized by the government in order to reduce the by-production of nitrogen from fertiliser. Thankfully, farmers there are fighting back. After three years of grinding protests against the government, their newly formed BBB party won 20% of the vote in the election on the weekend, gaining 15 seats in the nation's upper house. Even The Guardian had to acknowledge that ordinary people had had enough of government authoritarianism. Quote, analysts say the movement in the world's second biggest exporter of agricultural products fits neatly into a populist frame that portrays climate action as a new form of tyranny by governments and global elites over ordinary, hard-working citizens whose legitimate concerns are largely being ignored. Well, Australians are being ignored too. Given a choice and not coerced into, it, into them with subsidies, only a tiny and conspicuously wealthy percentage of us would buy an electric car. Yet politicians keep telling us we won't have a choice soon. Well, it's a good thing that New South Wales Labor leader Chris Minns had a choice this afternoon. His shiny new electric campaign bus ran out of charge while out on the hustings today. It's only a week old and has a range of 300 kilometres, according to the Daily Telegraph, but broke down on a 66 kilometre trip to Warraganva Dam. Minns and his team quickly jumped aboard a more reliable, gas-guzzling bus instead. It's an accurate symbol of how broken Australian politics is at the moment. Another global phenomenon that we never asked for but our government is giving us anyway is the woke national school curriculum. The curriculum runs to hundreds of pages of dreadful, turgid, educational jargon, which very few parents have the time to digest. They just send their kids off to school in good faith that, that the focus of their education will be reading, writing, maths and other things that will help them become useful adults. Instead, they're becoming useful idiots through no fault of their own. A new report by Dr. Bella Debrera of the Institute of Public Affairs has uncovered what the Australian education system really focuses on. And it's neither Australian nor educative. I'm very pleased to say that Dr. Debrera joins me now. Bella, welcome. Thanks very much, Fred. First, the national curriculum has compromised traditional subjects like maths and literacy for other more progressive ideas. Broadly speaking, what are these ideas? Broadly speaking, these ideas are associated with left-wing progressive ideas. So what's happened in the national curriculum that is that it's been completely hijacked by people in the education system, people who have an idea that education is not about teaching children how to learn to, to, to read and write, but to, to create 
social justice warriors, to, com to create activists, to, to, sort of, to create social change. So, so literacy and numeracy have been, have been not shoved aside, but I would say they've been infected with this new ideology. And they've done this very cleverly by creating what they call cross-curriculum priorities. There's three of those in the curriculum, but at the moment there's two that are really causing problems. The first one is Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures, and the second one is sustainability. Now, they sound quite harmless, um, and you know, you, you, it's, it's sort of hard to object to them on, on a superficial level, but when you look into what those ideas are behind those curriculum priorities, you realize the damage that they're causing to the, to, to the actual curriculum. So, so in the first one, in the Indigenous and Torres Strait Island curriculum, it's basically critical race theory. Um, now, so for your viewers who don't know what critical race theory is, it's, um, it's a crazy, crazy theory that was invented in academia in America. Um, it's basically race essentialism. It says that Western civilization is, is racist. It says that if you're white, you're racist. There's nothing you can do about it. And taken in the Australian context, it says that Australia was invaded by Brit the British uh, purely um, um, as, a, as a racist move, as, as, as a means by which to oppress the Aboriginal Australians on the basis of their race. And this actually, unbelievably, is being translated straight into the health and physical education um, syllabus. So children are being told to, to, to examine systemic racism while they're meant to be learning you know, how to play sports. So it's, it's really quite unbelievable. Can we just go back to what they're taught about the founding of the country though. I mean, Australia was founded, as you know, at the height of the Enlightenment. With it, and it was founded with a desire, which was very noble at the time, to seek amity with the natives. And in the 244 years since then, we have become one of the freest and most envied nations on earth. Now, is there anything about that, anything similar to that, related to that, that is being taught in Australian schools at the moment? Nothing, nothing at all. Look, you and I know that Australia was founded in, during the Enlightenment, and you and I know what the Enlightenment is because we're over um, 24. But anyone who's been educated um, through the national curriculum will be taught a single narrative, and that is Australia was invaded by the British in 1788, and that ever since then there's been dispossession, genocide, violence, frontier wars, stolen generations, um, and that we're on a, p a permanent sort of path to reconciliation, but that reconciliation can never even be achieved. So they're only getting this black armband version of Australian history. Um, but on top of that, they're getting a, a mythical Australian history. They're getting the Bruce Pascoe version of Aboriginal civilization, um, which you and I know has been completely debunked by, by um, Sutton at University of Melbourne. So they're getting a, a mythical Aboriginal history and they're getting a mythical history of the settlement of Australia. So they're coming out of school completely misinformed. Do you think this education system is encouraging them to feel, uh, to, to sign up to identity politics, to, you know, to feel that they are either oppressed or oppressors themselves? Well, certainly I've heard um, uh, terrible stories about what's going on at, at a very early age in schools. Children are coming home and saying to their parents that they're teaching that um, black people uh, are good and white people are bad and that the, the black people had their babies stolen by white people. And of course, this is going to definitely change the way people think about themselves as they, as they grow up. And I think a lot of um, non-Aboriginal Australians are being told that they're oppressors um, and they're being told that they should be ashamed of, of what people did over 250 years ago that they weren't even related to. Um, so, you know, this identity politics 
is divisive in, in, in society and it certainly um, affects the way the individual sees themselves in society. It's just going to create more and more and bigger cohorts of Greens voters. What, what's the ultimate outcome of this? I mean, it's very, very difficult to be optimistic about the outcomes of this, isn't it? Well, look, un until something changes, until we scrap the national curriculum altogether and parents take, take control of education again, uh, I can't see how we're going to suddenly reverse this situation. I mean, we're already seeing that um, there was a recent YouGov poll that the Australian ran about uh, the voice to parliament, and the majority of voters, 64 percent of 18 to 24-year-olds, said that they would, voice, uh, they would vote for the voice. Um, and that is totally understandable because, look, if I went through the education system at the hands of today's teachers, I would be also voting for The Voice because I, ha I know no better. Well, just as they're, they're not taught to appreciate the free and prosperous country they're, they're living in, they're also taught that, uh, that our industrialised nation is cooking the planet to the point of in inhabitability, when in fact the opposite is true because industrial development leads to a cleaner environment and longer, happier lives for citizens. <laughs> I can guess your answer, but are they being taught that too, Bella? Look, they're being taught that this terrible environmental determinism thing, which is which is pretty crazy. It's sort of this idea that um, that our self-worth is based on how well we look after the environment. Um, in terms of climate change, it's taught as pretty much undisputed fact, um, and and. I'm not surprised now that, that we've got Greens voters, that we've got Greens voters coming out of the school system thinking that the Greens are the only ones who can, can save the planet from, from this climate apocalypse. It's pretty diabolical. Well, I mean, this show I've focused on the sort of pernicious uh, global forces that seem to be at work in Australia at the moment. Where did the authors of this curriculum get all these ideas from? Well, you say uh, globalist, that's interesting, because actually one of the things that is also that I also noted in the curriculum is that there's um, a focus on Australian, on the children as, as, as global citizens as opposed to Australian citizens. So, so that is tied up very closely with the United Nations. So um, I was actually quite surprised at the amount of times I spotted um, information taken directly from the United Nations. Uh, in terms of the sustainability, in terms of the indigenous rights stuff. It's all just cut and pasted. Um, and, you know, I just think, well, did, did anyone vote for this? Do, do parents know this is happening? And, 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 and another point is, of course, it alienates Australian children from Australia because their loyalties are now going to be with this, this sort of whatever this globalist world is, um, which they probably don't understand any better than you and I do. But um, look, it's really going to be messing, messing with their heads. <laughs> before, that, before they know it, they'll own nothing and they will be told to be happy. Bella, what's your advice to parents? My, my advice is if you can sit down and read the curriculum, um, ask your children every day when they get home from school what they're being taught. And if it, anything sounds like critical race theory, if they're being taught anything that, I've ta that you and I have talked about um, this evening, go to the school, talk to the, talk to the teachers and d definitely talk to the principal and say, I don't want my ch child learning this. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Bella de Brera, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Fred. That is the brilliant Dr. Bella Debrera of the Institute of Public Affairs, who is doing what parents don't have the time or patience to do, digest the turgid new national school curriculum. And what she's found should frighten the hell out of every parent of a school-aged child. 
Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at, at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, or follow ADH on at A-D-H-T-V-A-U-S. And you can catch all the latest from ADH's rapidly expanding lineup, including Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, Lyle Shelton, and more by going to adh.tv or downloading our app. Or find us wherever you get your podcasts. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there is no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at 7pm. Good night.